This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back. And this season, we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following episode was recorded before the WGA SAG-AFTRA strikes of 2023. So I was reminiscing on my early career and the need for community. And at one point in my life, I started feeling pulled to give back. I was kind of inspired by Paul Newman. I mean, literally, like I opened the fridge and I looked at the spaghetti sauce and Paul was staring back at me. And, you know, they had raised hundreds of millions of dollars for charity by doing something that, you know, he really loved, which was food and tomato sauce and popcorn and all those things. And then I thought to myself, is there anything that I have that could be branded in this same kind of way to turn it into some kind of force for good? And that's how we came up with the six degrees thing. So my guest today, Penn Badgley, brought this exact point up. Are celebrities actually being helpful when they leverage their platforms for social impact? Is a tweet really enough? So lean in. I'm glad you're here. Hey, everybody. We've got Penn Badgley here with us today. Penn, thank you so much. Okay, so you were early to the podcast. Are you <laughs> a uh, compulsively early person like no, I am? No, it's funny. It's funny that you say early. Uh, uh, I mean, I think I was maybe four to five minutes early. That's early, which, man. Which is, you're right. It, it is early. No, yeah. I'm, I mean, especially since I had a, uh, a toddler, uh, you know, I've, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a two and three month old. So I would say these days being on time is a is a feat, is a Herculean feat. 
Uh, <laughs> and I managed to do it when it, you know, when I really need to do it. But no, I'm not. I'm definitely not compulsively early. Although I love uh, the feeling of being early. Oh, okay. Well, that, there goes my theory out the window. You know, we have a lot of connections, but one of the um, and the show is kind of about connections. But one of the connections I thought about, which probably in my mind related to being early, was that we both correct me if I'm wrong. Started out on the soaps. Um, yeah. You, yeah. Which one were you on? Uh, the Young and the Restless. And, well, uh, and, and, and you which, know, which, I was what, so, were you young or restless or both? I was, I was young. I was definitely young. I was not. I was so young <laughs> that I couldn't be restless yet. I, I, I was. Uh, I, I was thirteen and fourteen years old when I was. When oh, I was were on you that. really? Wow. Oh okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I was on uh, my first soap was called Search for Tomorrow, and then the second one that I was on for about a year was uh, Guiding Light. And what I'd like to say about the soaps because a lot of people will say to me, you know. It's just such a great training ground. And honestly, for acting, I think it's a terrible training ground. I agree with that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> in terms of like, because all you're doing is trying to make these Time. lousy expositional lines yeah, works. Right. But what it is a good training ground for is uh, professionalism because you have to be there. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you're 14, 15 years old and, and you're on, which was probably maybe the biggest one, I think, maybe for a while. Yeah, it kind of was. Yeah. 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 So you're not going to show up like, you know, half an hour late. Like they'll, no. they'll, they'll find, they'll find another kid, be another kid the next week and nobody will care. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, <laughs> profoundly. Like you really do feel, at that age, especially, I just remember being really intimidated by it. It seemed like this giant apparatus this giant machine and going to cbs radford or was it CBS? oh it was in it was la the big the big cbs the big okay. giant cbs where like you know they do um uh, uh the price is right it just it just was like iconic and historical and i was a short 13 year old and it, everybody just <laughs> seemed so tall and mustachioed and it just it was really <laughs> like i mean honestly it it sticks out as my like favorite a, words oh yeah i don't <laughs> use it often but there i mean there's there's the what i'm who i'm thinking of is i forget his real name but he he played this character named victor on the young and the restless anybody who knows it would he just and he's got this iconic mustache like probably for 40 years just had that thing wow wow that's cool man well listen you know you've had a such a you know, interesting um, career. So, so was that your very first gig? And and do you re before that? Do you remember the moment where you kind of said, "I think this is what I want to do with my life"? Yeah, very much. So, I was probably nine when I realized this is what I want to do, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And that, that was in theater. I was doing uh, I was doing community theater in Washington State, where I lived at that that point. But so okay. I lived, I lived very out in the sticks um, oh, wow. for a period. We'd moved what, from what, the east. What, what was the town? What, what town was it? I mean, it was outside of Issaquah. So it did. Oh, wow. Um, okay. so Issaquah no is outside of Seattle. Okay. Um, it wasn't that far into Seattle, which seemed like such a major, major. And I mean, it is a city. It's a huge city. But, but it, um, having never lived in a place like New York at that point, having never lived in a city, it was, it was like a, 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 you know, this giant metropolis. And I lived in the, in the mountains skirting it. And, um, because I didn't have a lot of social outlets, theater was that theater became that I, I, and I, and I loved the art of it. I did. I clearly was drawn to that. But then I think what I, what, what, turned me on was, was the, the sort of communal aspect, you know, 
like well, the, me the too, fact man. that the fact that you are encountering so many different kinds of people you know like there was this uh there's a renowned playhouse there for for young people called seattle children's theater that i was a part of and um you know i just remember like these i was probably 11 um and there were like these 14 and 16 year olds writing these like subversive progressive plays i remember one was called the barbie's demise uh-huh. and um <laughs> and you know it was like it was it was it was uh inspiring and and so to me it just seemed like um an a way to a way to enter into and participate in culture just it was art you know and then sure. by the time i was in la a few years later and of course years then feel like lifetimes when you're that age you know, I mean, I'm trying to think. Like, I started working on TV mostly. I did some some films, and you know, everything was just like, okay, I guess this is how it becomes a profession. But you know, I have to mm-hmm. say, because I started so young, that delineation between like pure sort of creative joy and then like what it actually looks like as a job, mm-hmm. that's always been. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just, I feel like now in my, in my late thirties, I'm starting to recover some of that joy and understand. Well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? One for, one for the meal, one for the real. You yeah. Know? That's, right. that is, that's, that's something I think that, I mean, I think if you are an artist, which you clearly are, uh, then you're going to have some conflicts around it. You know what I mean? Because exactly. so much of what we do is, is, you know, the bottom line and, and trying to listen, trying to make a living. Then when you have a kid, it gets, it gets doubled down because all of a yeah. sudden, I don't know what your feeling was, but all of a sudden I was like, shit, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta step up. This is not just about me anymore. You know, I gotta, yeah. I gotta provide in a very, I had a very strong kind of like fundamentally male sort of reaction to fatherhood, which was, okay, here we go. I gotta provide, you know, I gotta yeah, build totally. the, build the you know the a brick house and yeah so so i I, so i think that having those two things in combination are are tough and you know it's interesting you were saying about a sense of community i I, that was for me one of the two really important things when i first explored theater at around the same age that 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 you did i was i was growing up in philadelphia and i was finding any kind of you know theater stuff that i could do one was like I loved the closeness of these companies that I was. Mm. I, I wasn't in children's theater. I was like apprenticing at at you know grown up theaters. Oh, that's cool. Sweeping the stage and stuff like that. And they were all like you know loved each other or they were hated each other, but they had this kind of like bond that I felt like I really wanted to be part of that club. But the other thing for me was being a kid and just being a guy and trying to stay you know, kind of cool all the time and, and trying to be tough and, you know, front with this kind of toughness. When I got into this, this place where we were all like, ah, you know, let's, let's pretend you're an artichoke, you know, or and cry <laughs> and all this other, other kind of stuff. I was like, wow, this is, I found it very, very, uh, it, it was like, it, it was a real release for me as a little boy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I, that really resonates for me. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's also, man, I'm trying to think back like, cause yeah, I did, I did do plays with, um, full adult cast and stuff too. And then of course you start getting into working in, in LA at, at the age that I did, I was usually working alongside adults. And so I think it was this really interesting mix of like, uh, something that was genuinely freeing. And then it was really laced with all that other toxic stuff you can't escape in culture anyway too you know and Mm -hmm. and the way and so for me 
because I, I moved to LA and was working at, at, at 12, you know? And so then, so by the time I got in Young and the Restless, all this, I feel like I have two minds of it. Like, man, th it's incredible that I've lived a life, uh, being able to do what I love. That's, that's true. And, and what can also be true at that same time is that because I started doing that so young, I've never, I, I, I can't really recall after 10 years old, it not feeling like it was somehow like, a, you, you know, when you make something a job, there's then this pressure, you know, I mean, years later when you have children, of course, that's a very real thing, but I, you know, needing to prove myself at such a young age, these sorts of things, they, you know, you start to realize that it's, um, yeah, I'm not sure how to put words to it, but it's like, it, it really, all I know is that becoming professional and professionally competent and actually financially independent at a very young age has, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a complex thing, you know, and it's sort of mm -hmm. left its mark. And I, and I think, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of wish that I had, I don't wish it, but I know that I would have a different relationship to it if I started a bit later and had, you know I, know, I have friends who work now who like went to conservatory, they went to school for it, or they, uh -huh. it, uh -huh. it even sounds to me like apprenticing at a, at a, at a real playhouse at 14, 15, that sounds like it has a, a purity to it that for me felt like at that age was already being kind of snatched away. And, you know, you mentioned the thing about like, it's not a great training for an actor to be on a soap opera because you <laughs> are turning paragraphs of exposition at a rate that's so, you know, you have to clip it out. You get two takes, maybe, I think, you know, man, it's like man, they, no. they are on time. Yeah. yeah. And to me, that I was so young and impressionable that those were not great lessons to learn about what it means to be an actor, you know? Right. Well, it certainly hasn't hurt your acting and it certainly hasn't hurt your, your ability to, uh, uh, you know, have a career and, and to find, I mean, speaking of, you know, doing uh, things that you find creatively satisfying, uh, what about the band and the music? Um, uh, yeah. Are, I mean, are you, are you, are, is, is, is the band, how, how do you pronounce that name? Yeah. So it's just mother. We, we oh, had to mother, add okay. that X. We had okay. to add the X because there are a couple other mothers who gave us a cease and desist. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So well, that's cool. I like the spelling. I like the spelling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it was, and, it was a, it was a hip thing to do at the time. Yeah, I was I was just checking it out. It's 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 really cool. I mean, I really like the um the fact that uh it's a very specific sound. You know what I mean? The mm. songs are all ver varied, completely varied, but there's but the band has a recognizable sound. Definitely. Are, are, do, yeah. you, do you guys play out and and tour we, at all or we did. So so we 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 have been able to become friends again, but Basically, it, it it dissolves like so many bands do because you don't realize what you're getting into is like a marriage with with three or four other guys. Um, all of them oh, yeah. have to have some kind of emotional maturity, otherwise, it's not. It's not gonna, it's Imagine not being work. in the band with your brother. Right. Well, actually, yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty that's pretty huge. Um, no, it's great actually. But so but yeah, I know what you mean. It is like a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you know because like yours continues. Ours, ours, ours did not. We we uh we we made the one record and we made it in like a month. And uh -huh. we toured it for about three and a half years and we got, I'd say really good. I, I can feel really good about what we did, what we learned, um, the way we could play a show and the record that we made. It felt great. Um, but or, that or was... Were you the writer? Are you the writer 
No, I mean, so I was, I definitely wrote the lyrics and a lot of the melodies. Um, and we, you know, we all influence each other's roles, but there was a, there was a, our sort of producer and beat maker who would lay the sort of foundation of the songs. Then we had, um, two multi-instrumentalists who were like the guitar and bassist and keyboard players kind of when we were recording. And then I would come in and I would sing the top line and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and we, and we, but we all did it like in two different Airbnbs in Chicago and LA, uh, over the course of a month. And so we just were all together, you know, just doing it constantly. And, and so, so they, you, you were, uh, there, there were some, some live, some live instruments, but a lot of beats and a lot of tracks. And it's, I mean, it sounds very, it's got, it's very electronic. It it, it is. And I mean, at the time it was even before R and it was like, we were making sort of indie electronic R and B before that was even such a, popular kind of, like I, th- I think um the weekend has now made uh that sound extremely huge and 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 a whole genre in and of itself but at the time i feel like we were we were we were wasn't as common and we were trying to explore something new and um because i mean we made this record back in was at the end of i think we made it in basically the last month of 2013 and then we toured uh-huh. from like 2014 to 2017 and um yeah so we made the whole thing was like analog synths mm-hmm. and so everything okay. was very organic in that sense even though it's electronic yep and uh and then um and then the only thing that was completely manufactured were the were the were the was percussion were the beats there's a whole whole group of people out there who just heard analog synth and it just went right straight up there. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah but for those not, who know that's a very there is such <laughs> a thing as an organic synth i mean it's hard to yeah. uh, it's hard to uh, put those two concepts together. Um, you, you know, you've played so many uh, different kinds of people. I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked that we've never, uh, as far as I know, we've never worked together yeah. or, or oh, paths we're, we're, crossed. Yeah, we've definitely never worked together, but I was yeah. trying to remember if we'd met. I don't, I don't I, think we have. I don't think so. You know, I, I don't remember. It. And uh, and so that's always kind of fascinating to me. I love this silly thing on, uh, you know, on IMDB where you can hit the, uh, the connections tab and we have like a whole... You know, I'm I don't sure know, tons, tons, and tons of connections, especially um, seeing as uh, you did you uh, in New York, or uh-huh. or are you yeah. still doing it? Are, are you still That's shooting? That's true. So, so we uh, we just finished the fourth season in London. The okay, first so one first off, that's York. amazing. I mean, nobody. It's like when you know, in the old days, if you got three seasons and they canceled you oh, that's a terrible tragedy now it's like a smash uh, it's if true you get know, three yeah, seasons really not, to, not to mention four seasons so congratulations yeah, on that that you. is that is very very cool i mean are, are you still enjoying it or did you ever enjoy it yeah so because the role is so exhausting kind of like spiritually and physically i would say i i do enjoy it but i enjoy it kind of like you enjoy at some point like um a really difficult test or like running a marathon, you know, it's like, you're like, Oof. Mm. it's, it's a, it's, it's a lot. I think typically trying to, you know, you talk about soap operas and stuff. I mean, soap operas are an interesting template because they, they are kind of like what all television structure comes from in a way. Mm. And that television has gotten so good is just, is just sort of a testament to the evolution of the format, but it is rooted in what we think of as soap operas, whereas film is different. Film is a different act structure. Well, it's and really so don't, cliffhangers, right? Exactly, serialized television. Yeah, and then of course, and and the acts are actually have always been structured around commercial breaks. So you know, there's like, 
there's this there's this aspect of television that I think even in the absolute best of television, you know, you you still have something there of that original template. And one of those things that I think is just still the difference between film and TV it, to me as as an actor is huge where you you have to do it for so much longer in television and you have to produce so much more in in less time but yes, also do. for longer periods of time. So yes. so therefore the output is that much more of a of a race of a sprint but at marathon length. And so for that reason a lot of shows are ensembles and you actually don't usually have one person placed so centrally in the middle like you do more in a film structure. So so my right. show is interesting because it's called You. It's about my character and the way he sees everybody else and so it's so mental and it's so based in his um his his narration and his perspective that you know my participation is like essential to to to, to like every aspect even in the editing process oh, yeah. they can't they can't get going with the edit until they have my voiceover so that's what i mean you got a tremendous amount of voiceover yeah, it's, in the show it's 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 really it's so you know and i don't say this in any way that i'm complaining it's just i'm a witness to this process it's like wow okay so so this is what it means to make like a like a you know in in the in the realm of something like a prestige television show you know with the spirit of like of of some cinema in it but also with that really intense kind of soapy frothy pace and it's just and and frankly by the end of a six month stint i am i am so beyond spent like it's it's a lot this podcast is sponsored by ramp are you the decision maker in your company consider this for the first time in decades there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com/easy. ramp.com/easy. r a m p.com/easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC Terms and Conditions apply. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie-loving friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. I yeah. believe, uh, hands down, having worked, uh, you know, pretty much across the board in terms of um, uh, formats, there is nothing harder than being the lead in an hour-long television drama. That is the hardest kick. That I you kinda, can have. I kind of agree with you. I kinda, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I didn't realize it as much until this show somehow, but I was like, yeah, this is... Because uh, if you're shooting a, a movie, it can be really, really hard, but you know it's going to be over soon. Exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. You know, but, yeah. but when you're in a, an hour-long television drama, you're, you're going out there. Uh, uh, I didn't realize you were in London, but you're, you know... You're going out there. You're working. You're working. The hours are long. The, the demands are long. As you said, it's fast and furious you are oh, running yeah. and gunning trying to make it trying to every make day your, every, every day. day you just every, start and I, I don't know how relatable this yeah. is for people listening but yeah everyone's like, like wah 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 I'm so sad I, that you're I a directed, television star yeah right I know <laughs> I directed an episode this year and I finally oh, did you? Cool. I finally even more deeply internalized like you know the, 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 the trick with television that's so hard is like you basically start every day behind so, the, so everybody's just trying to make that day that you yeah. have 12 yeah, hours yeah. to complete and it's just it's such a behemoth enterprise and it's legit oh man it's like and you know it's it is thrilling and exciting for short periods but but you know it exhausts everybody who's a part of it all the crew members everything um i, I was talking to an actress uh recently and this 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 is a question that i want to ask you about um the playing a character like this and playing a character like this over such a long um period of time um when there are things of a super uh, dark nature that you have to, you know, throw yourself into um, characters that do, uh, you know, inexcusable kind of things. Uh-huh. What she was saying to me was that she was done with that because she found it to be too traumatic and personally too difficult uh-huh. to deal with. And I've heard... Um, I've heard uh, my wife, who's an actress, you know, express kind of similar things. For me, I kind of have the opposite reaction because I find that it's a chance to sort of therapeutically exercise any kind of darkness that I yes, it, yes, it makes its way into my bones, and sometimes it's hard to shake. But I, but I, I find that th- this is like a, um, it's you know, it's an exorcism of yeah. of, of stuff from me so i'm just wondering if you if, if neither of those apply or if you fall in no, the middle I, or yeah i i really am somewhere in the middle tending more towards what you just said but i my experience is a bit maybe of a different perspective i think like 
I think if you do it long enough, no matter how you view it, it's going to become exhausting just on a practical level. So I can see somebody sure. being like, you know what? Right. I, can't, right. I can't, I can't, I can't. Also, you know, one kind of, this dovetails very, I think about this a lot because of this specific role and how much, how violent he is and how ultimately his violence lands on women. The two people you mentioned who see it that way are women. And interestingly, when they have to do something dark, it often involves violence on them. And when we have to do something dark, we're often the perpetrators of that violence. That's a really good point. And I'm that not saying, really good point. I'm not saying that that doesn't hurt us too, but it is different. It is different. It, it's, it's very different. Like it's being a, a sort of a passive receiver of, of a violence or being an, and, and I think, I think for someone who's in that role, you know, you can't really, you can't really tell your nervous system you're acting. Mm-hmm. You can't. No, can. In fact, in fact, if you're a good actor, a lot of times the whole point is that you're blurring that line. Absolutely. Know? And, and I think that's, so, you know, I really, to me, it becomes, and that's where the reason that I don't see it as ultimately too traumatic is because of the way I, I take it on as a, as a, as a profoundly kind of sacred and spiritual thing. You know, as an actor, you are the, you're not the player, you're the instrument. You know, you're the, you're the moment where the, you're the place where the pen meets the page or where the writer and director meet the audience. You know, you're mm. the, you're the, you're the receptor, or sorry, you're the vessel. Hey. You're the channel through which everybody's seeing all this stuff. Everybody thinks actors have all this power and agency, and it seems that way because, you know, you're what you see. But we're really, there's nothing we have control over that we say, think, or sorry, not think, what we say, what we, what we, uh, what we wear, where we're standing, everything about the whole thing. We don't have any power over except for how we feel and think, you know, like how we respond to it all. And so to me taking on such intense material, you know, like, I think I continue, what, what inspires me is it's, is that you have to ground it. Even if sometimes the, the sort of structure that's on the page, just because of what's got to happen, can't be grounded totally in the reality of like trauma and violence and, and, and human behavior in that way. I think as an actor, you naturally find that you find the reality of the human experience in this intense stuff. And so to me, if I couldn't keep learning truly and like reflecting on myself and I think hopefully maybe becoming a, a, a better person, whatever that means, or at least like, I don't know, some, some more something, you know, and uh, that's to me what, what feeds me in it. Uh, now the, the flip side is that I am tired of bringing to life. Well, a guy that ultimately serves as something, as a warning rather than a, a, an invitation. You don't want to be this guy, and you know, and, and you, and so to me, I think what I'm tired of is like exploring the lower nature of humanity. I'm mm -hmm. interested in because we get a lot of that now. You know, fifty, sixty, seventy years ago, it wasn't as common to do that. And, you know, so you saw somebody like Brando and I was like, wow, what's this dude doing? It's like mm -hmm. different. And now we've like seen how many kind of explorations like that. And so to me, I'm like, I'm interested in, in something that's ultimately like rom-com. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> well, you Musical. know, to me, I, I almost want to, I, I like, I don't know. I'm not saying that I'm a part of it, but I want to see a vanguard of like new, something truly new. Like, like uh -huh. there's, there's new things have got to come along and new people and new ideas. And to me, right. I want to see something that's like 
genuinely like complex and mature, but inspiring and hopeful, you know? And I don't think we see a whole lot of all those things together. You mentioned that you're in your, uh, your pod, pod crush studio. So tell me about pod crush. I'm, I'm curious about it. Yeah. So this is, this is maybe part of, of that, trying to create something that's, that's mature and complex, but also very sweet and wholesome and hopeful. Um, it's, it's a story. I mean, so it's in the name crushed, like feeling crushed and having crushes. These are the first kind of introductions to mature life that we have as people, you know, when you're in middle school in America, but the world over, it's like what, 11 to 15, something like that. These are formative years, you know, and, 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 and you can have stories that are, that are, that are, that are hilarious and awkward or, or, or really traumatic and profound. And you can kind of toggle between those extremes and find all this depth and like sources of identity. And so, you know, that's what we do on the show. I have two co-hosts who are, uh, uh, former middle school teachers or administrators, um, uh, and and actually, uh, my 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 business partner Nava Kavlin, who's one of the co-hosts, she used to work at the UN, and and she one of the, her focuses was was research in media and the effects of uh, media on young people. And so, like you know, being in the shows I've been a part of, those are some of our first conversations and thinking about you know, just like young people and how they're the future, wanting to inspire them and, and encourage them. And so it's just one of those conversations turned into, in some way, this podcast. We have a lot of other things that we're trying to make, but this is one of them. That's cool, man. That sounds great. I gotta, I gotta check that out. Um, th- before we bring on our guest, uh, because this is applicable, uh, you follow the Baha'i Faith, I do. And, yeah, I'm a Baha'i. And, yeah. and I just, I'm, I'm wondering how you came to that because this will, uh, you know, kind of lead into our next, uh, our, our next guest here. Yeah, it does. Um, so I, I was what I was probably about 2011. So I was like, maybe, you know, something like 10, 12 years ago. I, I first met a Baha'i. Um, it is what you could say an independent world religion in the sense that it has a founder and it has uh, practices that define it as a religion, but, it, but. A lot about it is, I think, redefining a modern conception of religion very much. And and I personally came from a very sort of a-religious or anti-religious background, so I was not looking for anything that I would call religion. Um, and I didn't feel comfortable using the word God, but I was a spiritual seeker, something, you know, I mean, acting. Like, that was mm-hmm. always my, art was my religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways it still is, you know, it's not that there's a dichotomy there, it's just, it's just, what what is that the human spirit and how we all i don't care who you are everybody feels something like there's you know there's this human spirit whatever that is and how do you mm-hmm. connect to that how do you contribute to that how do you draw from it for me it was art and then there got a point where like i said actually i had no connection to that art anymore i was deep in the machine of television um deep in deep in gossip girl years and i and i was frankly i was in despair i i didn't i didn't I didn't know where it all led. I, I knew that I had succeeded more than most do, and I didn't have any kind of satisfaction because of it. Not a single bit, if anything, it made me feel worse. Mm-hmm. As we all hear, you know, about fame and money and all that stuff. And I didn't even have as much of it as, you know, it can it can get, it can really get up there. And I was just being introduced to it. And I was already like uh, not doing too well. Um, so I was trying. So I was trying to find uh, some unique source of, of of truth, of reality, of wisdom. You know, of like of safety and security. And uh, and and again, I was I did not find and seek out the Baha'i faith 
directly as a result of that, what I did was I, I went and stayed with a tribe in Colombia called the Kogi tribe, which is the largest uh, pre-Columbian intact civilization to, to date. And they've got a deep practice and mythology and, and all this kind of stuff and, and ritual and ceremonies. So I stayed with this tribe for about two weeks and, and, I, wow. and I, hap- I happened to meet a Baha'i there. And, and what's funny is that he was like the only other uh, early 20s white guy from New York City there. And so I didn't really want to stay in touch with him. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> he, he, he was not the person I was trying to connect with. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And then we, we just kept running into each other between the years of Occupy Wall Street and Black Lives Matter because I was very oriented toward and, and am you know, oriented towards, then I would have said the word protest meant a lot to me. Now, now I, I do think of it differently. So I don't just want to reduce it to that, but, but Mm -hmm. that was something I was very interested in. And, and yeah, so over time, I just, every now and then, basically what he, what he was doing for me and what I use the Baha'i faith for is to link individual spiritual transformation or whatever you want to call that mental evolution, conscious evolution to that of the evolution of society. You know, how do those two things connect? Mm -hmm. It's not just personal. It has to contribute to the greater good. Otherwise, what are you doing it for? You know? And, um, and he, he would just share things and every now and then I'd be like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, what are you talking about? And then eventually, yeah, I just like, I became very committed you know the the few Baha'is I knew I was like these people are the most rad people I know I, I think I think this is something I got to do you know and um and of course the, the the actual writings of the founder Baha'u'llah I mean these things are I've never encountered any writings like them they're 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 like the deepest poetry you know that sp- speaks to my heart unlike any other so you know that's 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 a, that's 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 the essence of it I guess that's the, that's it in a nutshell well, that's that's great. Well, I mean, what a what a fascinating journey to to Colombia and then back to Occupy and and meet, meeting this guy. I mean, it's just it's it's and, and it's not the route that I think somebody would um, would necessarily uh, uh, think of in terms of you know discovering a higher um, spiritual plane. But that's that's really fascinating. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible Uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, 
would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you are inspired by today's episode, please join us in supporting SixDegrees.org by texting the word BACON to 707070. Your gift empowers us to continue to produce programs that highlight the incredible work of everyday heroes, while also enabling us to provide essential resources to those that need it the most. Once again, text BACON to 707070 or visit SixDegrees.org to learn more. The uh, Tahare Justice Center, um, secular organization founded on the principles of the Baha'i Faith, and we want to. Uh, we, we, part of what we're doing here with this podcast is not only talking to famous and talented people like yourself, but also uh, shedding a light on the people behind the scenes who are involved in the organizations that that the uh, famous people care about. So, I want to bring in from the Tahare Justice Center, Anusha Sinai, who is the director managing it. What What is your actual title? And thank you for being here with us. You're welcome. My official title is the managing uh, attorney for the okay. Greater DC Baltimore Regional Team. Gotcha. Okay. Tell me um, how you got involved, uh, and and what is the work that uh, the Justice Center is is doing currently. Or the Tahare Justice Center is a national nonprofit organization. It's a Baha'i-inspired organization whose mission is to deliver holistic services to immigrant survivors of gender-based violence. And so we provide not only legal services, but uh, social services, policy, advocacy, and um, a whole plethora of basic needs that our clients may need. That's that's amazing, and and is are is this uh, are does are there people of the Baha'i faith all over the world? 
Yes, yes. Although it is um, an organization inspired by the Baha'i faith, and not all the staff members are Baha'i, but yes, yeah. the Baha'i faith is a worldwide religion. Um, you find Baha'i members all over the world. I myself am originally from Italy, and I grew up in the Baha'i community in Italy. Yeah. Um, and um, the, the main purpose of the Baha'i faith is unity of mankind, which may appear simplistic in statement, but it comes through the implementation of a variety of socioeconomic principles that are based in spiritual um, teachings for the betterment of humanity. And the equality between the genders is one of them, hence the inspiration for the organization. Well, certainly equality uh, in terms of gender worldwide is a, uh, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, if it's a big problem here in the States, then you know that it's a huge problem uh, many other places in the world. Um, and and so, it, what what specifically in what specific countries are 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 you are you focused on, or or is it immigrants to the states that are uh, that, that are the, the m- m- mostly focused on? Yeah, so um, all our clients are mostly here in the United States. Um, they come from all parts of the world. The majority, if you're looking for specific percentages, the majority of our percentages are from areas in Central America, South America, and Sub-Sahara mm-hmm. Africa. Um, but we do have uh, a great um, diverse demographic in terms of geographical coverage. Now, if uh, if someone comes to uh, the States, what are the main problems that they faced in terms of being an immigrant and, and in terms of um, gender and, and uh, inequality? Mm. So um, most immigrants, and I will include myself in it, um, don't usually leave their home country out of volition unless there's something else, you know, ahead. For our client, most of the times, unfortunately, are situations of violence and war zones and forceful departure. And that's that's mostly the experience of the clients that we serve. When they come to this country, um, apart from the expected barriers, such as language, systems, mm-hmm. um, understanding exactly where to go and how to go and what to get, um, even just disparity in terms of food access and so forth, um, they come in with a great deal of fear towards uh, law enforcement, for example, and uh-huh. then um, and they um, have to face a great deal of stereotypes, a great deal of biases, a great deal of prejudice, and oftentimes they find themselves in situation where out of fear will not report on um, instances of violence that may have occurred here in the United States, whether while in detention in immigration detention or uh, while in the United States more generally. You know, Penn, I, I want to just um, uh, pivot to you for a second. And, and you know, when I hear about this kind of work, I, I think to myself, um, there's a lot of things that y- you could be doing rather than supporting an organization like this. Um, a lot of things that probably would be an easier lift. Well, the easiest lift of all is not having any point of view outside of just trying to get a gig and, you know, <laughs> like yeah. like do, doing your work and, as you said, going home and being exhausted. Uh, 
Is there something outside of the Baha'i connection, which clearly led you to this organization, that that you just feel it is important in terms of uh, getting involved with with something outside of this crazy industry that we have? Yeah, I mean, so I'll try and be succinct, and I'll try and start with the small and then go to the big. So, I mean, I wouldn't have become so intimately involved with the organization if it wasn't for my friendship with uh, the founder, Lely Miller-Muro. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, we we weren't close friends, but we had met, and we had a lot of mutual friends and um, uh, through the Baha'i community. And so, so what happened was... She, God, what in the fall of I don't know, 2018 or 2019, she she asked me if I could help, basically amplify the story of of one person, one client of theirs in particular. Um, and her name. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll try. I mean, again, it like it. Uh, uh, Anusha can help me because it, there are so many particulars about each person's story that are so connected to these really deep systemic injustices in our in our country's legal system that you know again i'm trying to be brief and connect the big to the small it's very very confusing sometimes but but basically like what anusha said about the baha'i faith you know you asked how much does it extend really just beyond that generally so i mean if you're thinking about the oneness of humanity uh, as a simple concept but having a really really complex and kind of unimaginable reality as we try to bring it into reality so like one of the things that i think is represents that spirit is that when you're trying to do something it can't just really be arbitrary there has to be some kind of real motivation to do it you know like like where does and and actually i think in this case there were two things for me it was that i was on a show perpetrating such egregious cases of male violence you know usually on women and then i had this friendship so that's the big and the small it's like this big mm-hmm. giant social thing and then the small is oh i had a friend you know i actually had a friend who who did this work mm-hmm. and she was a woman and she could speak to it and 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 she could really bring me into the 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 work like broadly and socially why it's important and then also i witnessed kind of just firsthand even even through these glimpses um like what it actually looked like on the ground. I mean, I met this woman, Vilma Carrillo, um, uh, who, who was in detention um, in, in Georgia. Uh, she was separated from her daughter. Her daughter was born in the States. Um, so her daughter was a, a U.S. citizen. And where was she from? speaking? I want to make sure this is accurate, but Guatemala. Guatemala, okay. I'm... Again, the, the, it's been a long time since I since I did the specific work with Velma. So you know, again, the, the yeah, as as I as I maybe stumbled through some of the details, but um, I mean the 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 challenge. No, did you? Did, I've only met Velma once. Like I've only met Velma once, and then she was behind um, behind plexiglass. She was she was she was being detained. You know, basically for just coming here. And I, I would actually let Anusha speak to like this really difficult kind of um when people come here in, in a position like Vilma's, they're immediately placed in a in a in a in a position of impossibility. They have a genuine, very simple personal need for help. And they deserve that. 
because they're human. And, and actually, even though there shouldn't be some kind of merit-based ranking, if you want to start trying to do that, you know, like some kind of moral ranking system, as Anusha was saying, a lot of times people who are leaving here are doing something heroic. Sorry, people coming here are doing something heroic. They're leaving a home they don't want to leave. They're being forced. They're sure, often yeah. women and children, you know, and they're doing actually the thing that we tell stories about, you know, like they're, they're, do, they're doing a hero's role. And then, of course, in our in our sort of polarized political system, they get either painted by one side as as villains, or you know, unfortunately, kind of objectified by the other side, trying to sort of use them as talking points. And 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 the average person trying to like understand the reality here and like do anything meaningful is kind of lost in this polarized, divisive yeah. debate. Sure, yeah, you know what I mean. And like, and so, what is it actually? all mean what does it actually look like what can i actually do and so as as a person who's famous i have this uncommon ability to bring attention to something just by literally pointing to it or being part of it or posting or something you know and so that's why Lately invited me into this work Lately miller muro the founder of the tahari justice center um uh she she invited me into into just to help amplify the story of this one person to help her re reunite her with her daughter and we did and that's you know something I'm I'm actually really proud of, and I and I I want to highlight that I played a very small role, you know, I I, I I suppose in some manner a pivotal role, but very very small. Well, speaking of, of roles know. to play, Anusha, I want I, I'm interested uh, in your point of view because this is a, a little bit what we talk about on this podcast vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the the use of celebrity in terms of amplifying things that um, are important and and the work that you're doing um do you see any kind of a direct connection there yes um yes i do and i don't know necessarily if it is always a positive or a negative right because let me let me just take one step back there are laws in the united states that allow for an immigrant who's coming to this country to seek a path towards justice and safety right so those laws exist it's not like our work is um shooting in the dark and trying to make a case out of something that it's not actually codified. The unfortunate reality is that the, the system is oppressive to begin with. The system is built to create this othering in all of these individuals that, that come to the United States to seek justice and safety. So when we are partnering with voices such as yours and such as Penn's, it amplifies the rights that already exist in this country and the pathways that exist in this country and that the government of this country actually created for the purpose of justice. But we have forgotten what that looks like in when we go and implement it because we have been distracted by focusing on the, the immigrant that fulfills our thought of what they should look like, they should behave like, they should come here for. And so to have powerful partnership like celebrities like yourself and Penn truly is allowing us to go in with a huge magnifying glass and say, no, no, wait a second, let's go back to the original intent behind these laws, behind these opportunities, and let's afford 
all human beings a fair chance and not not based on politics and rhetorics that may be going on at the time. Tell me what it was that that you brought you specifically to this work, this this kind of work. That's a very interesting and very uh, deep question. I always felt since the age of five that my purpose was, it, when I was five, my word was defensor. Like I, I, I needed to defend. <laughs> um, and I was very much aware of what, what my surroundings were. I myself, I am a Baha'i. You, you heard me earlier saying that I was born and raised in Italy, but I have nothing Italian in my blood. I'm fully Iranian. My parents are Iranian immigrants into Italy. So I think from, from the very beginning, that's what connected me with this idea of sharing the immigrant experience in a way that elevates the challenges and the, 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 the need to be seen as a whole person and not okay. just as part of a person. And so that connected me with the work of the Tahari Justice Center. And what is uh, what what is the Tahari, Tahari Justice Center working on right now? What's the uh, is there is there some specific uh, program that that you're uh, deep in? Yeah, so I'm sure you're aware that we touch on various programs that have the gender based um, component, right? So we mm-hmm. work on the under the Violence Against Women Act. We work with trafficking survivors. Um, we work with children who arrive to this country and need that pathway to justice. And then a couple of years ago, as we all watched the crisis in Afghanistan, we saw also the influx of um, immigrants from that area of the world. And so we created mm-hmm. a specific project that um, allowed for a quick and efficient um, answer to the need of Afghans that were coming into the United States and created the Afghan Asylum Project. Mm-hmm. And that in, in the last couple of weeks, we finally are seeing successful stories come out of some of those applications and our first wins um, for those Great. asylum cases, which is wonderful. That's amazing. That's awesome. Are there ways that uh, people listening here can specifically help or, or get involved? Um, Many ways, okay. many, many ways. But as we are in the 21st century, you know, social platforms are the best way to gather information. We are present on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Our website, tahari.org, is a wonderful opportunity for individuals to learn more and um, find the best way that works for them uh, to contribute. If anyone is moved to provide financial um, donations, that is certainly welcomed and always, always appreciated. I'm going to spell it out because I, want, I don't want anybody to uh, to miss this. T a h i r i h dot org. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, I want to make sure that that's there. And and on, and on that on that site, I'm sure you can find all of the various tags for uh, whatever, Twitter, Instagram, all the other socials, right? Yes, exactly. And different ways to uh, to help out, uh, donate, um, get information. And uh, listen, I want to thank you both so much for being here today. Um, uh, it's it's great to connect with you, Penn. I mean, I, I'm shocked that our paths haven't crossed until now, <laughs> but I really enjoyed the you know having this conversation with you. Thank and you. Thank you for having me. And Anusha, please keep up the good work 
And Thank uh, you. It's, 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 very, it's very valuable and important. And uh, thanks a lot for being here. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Six Degrees. And if you want to learn about the Tahera Justice Center, just head to their website at the TaheraJusticeCenter.com. You can find all the links in our show notes. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to the show and tune into the rest of our episodes. You can find it on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.